Hey, this is Phil Campbell. I used to be in a band called Motorhead, and now I'm in a band called Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. And you're listening to Appetite for Distortion. You know where you are! This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 424. My name is Brando. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Phil Campbell. How are you, sir? Hello, sir. I'm very, very good here down in Wales. Um, enjoying a little bit of time off at the moment. So it's all good, my end. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I get any time off. I'm currently across the pond the other way in Queens, New York. Uh, if you hear a baby crying in the background, I'm sorry. My soon-to-be six-month-old is just waking up, so I apologize uh, in advance. <laughs> you know, it's, okay. it's funny because uh, we were just speaking a little bit off the air, and I re-listened to, before we get into another perfect day and, and, and everything else with you, but last time you were on... Uh, I was still due. I have yet to buy him a Motorhead onesie, so I apologize. I said I was going to get him one. I have him. He has Guns N' Roses onesies. He has a Freddy Krueger onesie for Halloween. I just got to get him a, a Motorhead uh, one. We, are, we have a good selection out now for babies. I, I've got a six-month-old uh, grandson who was, who was down here yesterday. Oh. And um, so I managed to... I managed to uh, to get a, a bunch of motorhead stuff as well for uh, for the, the young the young ones yeah so um, oh that's perfect they look, they look really really cool yeah oh that's perfect and I, I appreciate because now we're we're connecting on Zoom audio and last time I was just I, I can I pride myself on being professional and technically proficient and I just couldn't dial out to the UK I thought I was going to interview Mickey D at first because that's who I was told and then it was just like an impromptu interview with Phil Campbell so I was unprepared <laughs> a little bit more prepared this yeah. time so uh, but yeah, speaking that was, that was funny I remember that when yeah when he said hello Mickey <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, and I I didn't expect you to remember but I, I, I appreciate that so I'm glad we get to do this uh, this part two but speaking of if I use the word perfect uh, you're here to help promote another perfect day the 40th anniversary of the sixth record in Motorhead's uh, arsenal. So it's going to be coming out uh, in new deluxe editions. There's going to be hardback book packs in uh, CD and triple LP formats, uh, a remaster of the original album, uh, an unreleased demo, bonus tracks, and also an unreleased, previously unreleased, full-length concert at Hull City Hall in the UK that took place in uh, June 1983. And I'm sorry, Phil, I was born in 1983, so I could not have uh, attended uh, that one. <laughs> I, was, I was supporting Motorhead on that tour for the last gig in 1983, believe it or not. So I, oh. we can talk about that later, yeah, if you want. Perfect. That's going to segue into everything then. Um, and just to fit, wrap up what else you can get, uh, you're going to get the story of the album and many unseen photos. And also there's like an unlimited blue and black swirl of the original standalone album. So let me ask, because you were not technically on the album. What memories do you have of Another Perfect Day? Because it was kind of an interesting time in Motorhead's 
career where they got a new guitar player, they, they changed their lineup. So what memories do you have of Another Perfect Day? Well, um, actually, my my previous band, Persian Risk, uh, supported Motorhead on the last UK show of the Another Perfect Day tour down in Cornwall. And um, I, I was a little bit disappointed because there was... Basically, they played just the entire album. I don't think they even played Ace of Spades or anything like that, mm. or Bomber or Overkill. I think, from all, I think uh, from what Lem told me later, or like I think uh, Brian Robinson didn't want to play any of the old stuff, mm. you know. And uh, so I, it was a bit disappointing actually because I didn't recognize any of the songs. You know, it was just all all brand new stuff and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Robbo didn't last that long with the band I think uh, Lem Lem told me he he kind of Brian kind of thought of it as Brian Robertson guest artist with Motorhead uh, uh, you know instead of being like you know in one of the band brothers like uh, I, I don't know Mm. But um, they, they sounded good. Yeah, the crowd, the crowd loved them and all. But uh, there was a, a lack of old materials, and everyone wanted to hear Ace of Spades. Then, <laughs> you know, it did. It only a year or two previously been, uh, you know, a massive hit. You know, that's so, really interesting because people say the same thing still today. If an artist is promoting a new record, and of course they want to play some stuff, but to promote it but if they play the majority fans want the hits so there you were you know part of the the show and you were even like i want the hits i love motorhead but i want the hits so that's kind of uh, interesting even back then it's kind of the same premise of you know play what we know <laughs> no new stuff but now it's not new yeah and I, <laughs> at least i know if you do it that way though nobody walks out because they're all waiting for ace of spades mm. so at least you, at least nobody walks out halfway through anyway, because if they think you're going to play it, like, but uh, unfortunately, uh, on this occasion, they didn't. And uh, from what I, I can gather, all the way through that tour, I don't think there was many of the older songs played at all, really. It was just basically the brand new songs. Okay. You know? Yeah, cause they, and uh, they... I, I, I don't... Yeah, Lem wasn't too happy with it, and... And um, Filthy wasn't too happy with that. I found out later on, but that's that's what happened on that tour. Yeah, because they because they got Robbo from uh from Thin Lizzy, but then they would get you. So can you talk about that transition to? Because that's fascinating for you to have been. Uh, you weren't in Motorhead at that time, but you were part of that show. You obviously were a fan at that time. So how did you go from your previous band to end up joining Motorhead and then, of course, playing all the classic hits and, and making new stuff with them for so many years? Yeah, just nothing out of the ordinary, really. Um, I heard that Brian had left. There was no, like, there was no nothing to say, okay, we're auditioning guitarists. It was just a thing in the press that Brian had left. Which I think Lemmy said it was done purposely, so the people who did manage to get audition tapes through and all, I really had to try hard, you know, that they, they had to phone up the record company and then, you know, phone up, uh, you know, 
make a bunch of phone calls to find out what, what address to get it through and everything. So the, the the tapes that they did end up shifting through were tapes by people who had really tried their, their hardest, you know, to 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 make it happen. So I was yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. So yeah, they got it down to a two or three of us and then down to two of us, me and Wurzel, and uh, they decided to take me and Wurzel at the same time, mm. which was yeah. fantastic. And uh, the, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs> this is, um, I get some questions from friends. This is from my buddy George Savage out in Rocky Point, Long Island. So since you were a fan and joining the band, what was your impression of Motorhead and Lemmy before joining and then, did that change once you joined? No, not really. It was, it was, it was over the top. Everything was over the over the top and loud and rock and roll. Really, it was kind of music. Sort of spoke for itself. You know, um, it was really like the music was really truthful as to, as to the lifestyle, and so. I kind of expected it to be like it was, you know, no holes barred, take no prisoners sort of thing. If people don't like it, they can sod off, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was great fun. It was one hell of a ride for over 30 years. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I was, very I was very lucky, you know. There's lots of talented guitar players around, and I just got lucky at that time. Well, you're a very humble guy, uh, and I appreciate you, you know, helping keeping uh, Motorhead's name uh, alive. And uh, another fan, and I want to get this question in before I forget it. My my friend, Big John Stud, out in uh, Washington D.C. So, since you joined after that sixth record, another perfect day, were there certain songs other than Ace of Spades because we love it that you were excited to play? that you know you were like okay this is one of my favorite motorhead songs or were there also in the opposite something you had maybe reservations about playing that you were kind of nervous about playing that like you i don't know that you felt was untouchable before uh, well basically it was the first couple of tours we, we went out with but um it was it was it was all exciting you know because i was there i was there playing with lemmy and filthy you know, and um, well, not filthy, not for so much because he left after two days. Hmm. After the, he left just after we did the Young Ones TV show. So I was out there, you know, me and Wurzel were out there playing live, jamming with Pete Gill from Saxon, an amazing drummer, and Lem. So it was a blast to do them all, you know, and we kept the power up with the songs. We, we went through a lot of the old material like the Hammer. We were playing on Bomber and America and, and stuff like that, you know, stay clean. So I, it wasn't disappointing at all, really, you know. It was a lot of fun. Do you remember anything specific about your audition? I know you were saying that you it, was, it came down to you and Wurtz, but do you remember anything specific when uh, maybe that what Lemmy said to you, hey, I like this about you, Phil? You know, anything that, that in your audition with Lemmy after all these years that sticks out to you that you remember? Well, he, he let me um, he let me stay on his houseboat the the night of the audition 
because I didn't have enough any money to get back to Cardiff. He had to borrow a tenner off uh, this girl he was living with on his houseboat at the time. But he was all he was he was always really cool. And then I think I went up another time. Then he took me and Wurzel out to a, the Sam Moritz Club in in London, and purposely left us alone talking while he was enjoying himself on the gambling machines. <laughs> and he, he 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 could overhear me and Wurzel say, "No, wouldn't it be great now if we if we were both in a band and you could play this bit and I could do this bit, I could do this bit and that." And uh, I think that's what he—that's what was in the, the back of his mind, sort of thing. If we—if we got on as well, you know. But he um, was—he was great. He—he he, he wasn't like the, the big boss, you know. He wanted it to be a, a a band thing. We split everything three ways from day one, you know. And he—he he wanted it to be a a working rock and roll band, you know. And that's that's what it was all the way through. I love that, and I think that's what that is part of what has made Motorhead such an iconic band, and some and a band you feel proud to be a fan of, because it's yeah. While the the press may just see Lemmy, he has really gone out of his way to make it a whole family band, past members and present members. So I, I was curious because when Motorhead was first initially nominated for the rock and roll hall of fame it was just the original members you know it was lemmy fast eddie phil uh, filthy uh, and so but then we got mickey and you in like so can you talk about that what does the hall of fame mean to you that did he make sure that you guys were included because you're just as important to the motorhead legacy as anybody else um, I'm not sure what happened there, but we went to visit the, the Hall of Fame in kind of in its inception, and we were so disappointed, me and them. We both went, and it was we had to look around this place as well, and the actual physical Hall of Fame, and it was terrible there. I think it was only the Ramones that we kind of looked up to mm. uh, the, on the walls and everything, and. Um, it, it don't it don't bother me at, at, at all, you know. I've I've got a Grammy, and and that's more than I ever thought I could ever mm-hmm. achieve. And I've got I've got lots of other awards as well. So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, considering some of the some of the the people that have been inducted, it doesn't really cut it very big with me. You know, I think it's a bit of bullshit. You know, really. I, I think Myself. you would be hard-pressed to find fans that disagree with you. There are just some bands that I don't understand why they're they're not in. You know, when you think of rock and roll, I just interviewed Paul Rogers, and it's just like, how is Paul Rogers? Yeah. Like, I, that, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, but you, you alluded to something. They, they should have named it something else if they were going to play if they were going to do it like this. You, you know what I mean? Sure. Not Musical. call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Then, then... That, People wouldn't be able to bitch so much, you know. <laughs> You're absolutely right. But you said something uh, interesting, and I like to talk about this with, with people who come on, because and now that I'm, you know, first seeing my son grow up and trying to get him into to music early on, what he can actually pay attention to. But when you were growing up, it, you said you never fought, foresaw winning a Grammy or any of these things. What were your hopes 
as a young musician? What what did you think was going to happen? Um, I didn't know. I, I start I started well. I started playing brass instruments in school in the in the band, the trombone and the trumpet and the tenor horn and a, and a bit of guitar and some drums. And then I started drumming semi professionally then in round the clubs when I from when I was thirteen on. So mm. I've, I've been getting paid since I was thirteen. Wow! Uh, constantly up to up to now. Now I'm sixty two. Like, but I don't know. I I just enjoyed playing music, and uh, I I wasn't very skilled at anything else really, and. You know, I, I guess I hope that one day I might be able to, you know, some of my mates were kind of were unemployed and they, they could go. I remember because I had a job working, um, driving vans from my, my dad's delivery company at the time when I was from when I was 16 on. And some of the, the boys in, in the band I was with then at the time, they could do anything they wanted in the day. I know they were kind of unemployed, but then they could they could go here or there. And but I had to, I had to work and everything. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, it'd be, it'd be great if I just could, you know, just do what I wanted to do every every day, really, kind of thing." And it kind of ends up like that, you know. You get a lot of you get a lot of time off in in this business. Well. I don't get a lot of time off, but the, the time off I do get is is luxurious to me. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it's pretty precious. But yeah, I I just I I I don't know. I just I didn't think too far ahead. Really, I was just enjoying myself. You know, playing with the, my friends and little bands and trying to write songs which we thought were good then, which are. Listening back now, a lot of them. It was a lot of crap, but we at the time it kept mo- it kept us motivated, sort of thing. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever try to bring the trombone into Motorhead? Did you ever tell Lemmy, like, say, "Hey, let's let's bring the trombone in." So, with something else that you had had in your arsenal? <laughs> no, no. But I brought my trumpet into the cabaret band when I was drumming. When we used to play "Viva España," I started the started the song off with that, and I'd sit behind the kit. But no, not a trumpet. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, Lem, he wouldn't have minded Lem if if it was a good part for trumpet somewhere. I mean, he'd Lem, he loved saxophones and cellos, and we all we all did. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. We we used cellos and and strings occasionally and things like that, and they're beautiful, they're beautiful things. Oh yeah. Uh, I I didn't think I no, I never mentioned the I never. Offered to play the trumpet in Motorhead, put it that way. Okay, all right. All right. Probably, just, probably just as well, because I'm not very good. <laughs> yeah, Motorhead is not a ska band. I got it. Um, you know, I, I know I have you here for just, uh, a few more minutes. Last time we, we spoke of briefly, because, of course, the theme is uh, Appetite for Distortion and how um, Matt Sorum was in Motorhead for a while. But you, what I wanted to dive deeper into was that you said you were roommates with Matt. Yeah, I lived. I lived in Matt's house for a for a year in uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah. How did that? When I was, was it the odd couple? Huh? How did that come about? Was he no, clean? Said, were you dirty? Saying, 
instead instead of staying at the usual place, I, I would the, the Oakwood Apartments. I got fed up with that, and Matt Matt had all the ground floor available. Oh, okay. It's quite a big house, so he he stayed upstairs with his girlfriend, and I was downstairs. But he's a great guy, Matt. Yeah, I really enjoyed him when he he played with us for the two weeks. It was a lot of fun. Oh, see, in my imagination, I'm thinking you guys are like Laverne and Shirley. You're getting into hijinks together, but you're on a separate floor. So, all right, that's that's disappointing. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that that's too funny. Are you? Do you? Are you? Um, do you still speak to Matt? Because I know he's always recruiting. Yeah, yeah, keep in touch now and again. Yeah, and send each other texts. So, if you want somebody's phone number, or I want a phone number, or whatever, yeah, we, we call each other up now and again. Yeah. Right on, right on. Because um, I know he's working on his big Kings of Chaos record, so I don't know if you were a part of that. And I know you've jammed with him on different things. Yeah, yeah, he's asked me a few times. Yeah, to be, there's nothing concrete come up about that, but um, he has mentioned it to me a, a, a few times. But he, he hasn't given me nothing solid to uh, to work with at the moment. Okay, right on. Um, and, and let me ask you just a, a generic question because, again, the theme of the podcast, uh, ap- uh, Appetite for Distortion, of course, play off the words Appetite for Destruction, landmark album in the world of rock and roll. So I'm, I'm curious what you thought of Appetite when it first came out. And as a guitar player, was there a certain, you know, like what you thought of Slash when you first heard his sound as well? Um, I, I don't know how I came by it, but I... Somebody gave me a cassette, a cassette of it. It was—I don't think it got really huge straight away, did it? No, no, it took yeah, about a I'll year. Go. Yeah, so I so I did have an early cassette, and I loved it. I thought all the songs were instantly memorable, and the the riffs were were hard, and the guitar playing was was fluid, and I thought it was incredible. Definitely like. Incredible album, especially for a debut album. I think it deserved everything that it got, you know. And I, I love Slash's play, and I, I, we did some shows with him a couple month or two ago in Europe. And the guy just gets better and better all the time. Unbelievable. Very cool. Uh, what's the future for you? Do you have anything on the docket you could talk about? Um, well, we're just taking a little break now from Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. We've been busy all year. Um, we've got a UK tour coming up and a f- few more festivals before Christmas and a bunch of shows being booked ready for next year. You know, and the new album's out. Uh, came out on September the 1st, I think. Uh, Kings of the Asylum. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but it's... It's our best album to date. It's, um, um, our son, my son produced it, Todd, and uh, it's massive sound on it, and I'm over the moon with it. This is a brilliant album. How is it to work with your son? Uh, that's that's great. That's something that I, I, I'm not currently holding him. Well, I'm sorry. Three of them, the, the, three of them, the, the three of them are in the band. Okay, I did not so, know that. Uh, okay. How, I mean, how is yeah, that? I mean, still- you have a little Parker, Partridge family going on. Yeah, it's yeah, it's myself. Todd's on guitar, Dane's on the drums, Tyler's on bass, and we've got uh, our friend Joel Peters on vocals. 
So yeah, we, we've been playing for like ten years now since before we were even we were even playing when um, when Motorhead was still going. Like I told Lem, I'm just doing some cover songs with my kids, and he thought it was a great idea. You know, on a bit of downtime. Mm. Forgive but my check ignorance. Check it out, yeah, Kings of the Asylum, a new album. Yeah, it's wonderful. I will, and forgive just my trust ignorance. Me on this. No, I, I will. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that you have a band with your sons, I think that's a dream. I think that's that might be, is that, that could be a highlight of your unique. career. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I spend enough time away from them mm. as well, so I thought I'd give something back, you know, and they're all incredible musicians. Uh, they keep me on my toes. Oh, I, I, I love that. I've got, to, oh. I've got to keep practicing to keep up with them, so... Um, Oh, that's special. yeah. It's, it's, I, I think it's fairly unique. I don't. I don't know of anyone of a dad going on with three of his kids in a full-blown rock and roll band, professional rock and roll band at the moment. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe somewhere. I don't. I'm. I'm trying to think. I mean, there could be, of course, some family members, but just to have a whole troop there led by the dad. <laughs> I, I think that's. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, that's uh, again as, yeah. as a new. As a new dad, who sometimes I incorporate him into the podcast, I'll hold him, um, but not today, <laughs> because it's yeah. it's not fun to because we're just doing audio. It's not fun just to hear a baby. Sometimes you got to see him because it gets distracting. Uh, but if, I got, you can, if, if, you, if you can get him to burp, burp on cue, that would be pretty funny. Oh, we've gotten close. We've gotten close. See, that's what I want to happen. I'm like, if he throws up on me middle of an interview, whatever. It is what it is. But I got him like a little rattle microphone. And so uh, he's, I'm, 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 maybe he'll be, uh, I have no talent to be in a band. So maybe I'll do the same thing. I'll have sons on a radio show, just like uh, Brando and the Bastard yeah, Sons. Maybe, maybe he can dap for you. When you go sick, he can dap for you then in a few years. <laughs> right on. Phil, thank you so much. Uh, again, we're promoting uh, the deluxe 40th anniversary edition of Another Perfect Day. It's coming out November 3rd. You can have pre-orders and merch, which is available now. Uh, just go to, uh, I believe it's imotorhead.com, the uh, letter imotorhead.com. So, Phil... Thank you so much. I really, I'm just so happy I got a good interview with you this time. No audio issues, <laughs> no dialing yeah. out issues. This was a pleasure, and I hope we get to do this even again. Uh, pleasure was all mine, and, and good, good luck with your boy as well. We'll speak again soon, I, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, man, Phil is too cool. And I, I just said it to him, but I'll say it to you again. I'm so glad to have gotten a solid interview with him because it was in, back in February. If you want to check it out, the initial interview I, I did with him, episode uh, 392, and it was fine. He was great, again, but I just felt so uh, flushed and rushed because, again, I thought I was talking to uh, Mr. D, the, the, the drummer, and all of a sudden I'm talking to Phil, the guitarist, and... I couldn't dial out the country code, blah, 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 and then all, I ended up just holding my cell phone up to the microphone and that's not what i want to do i i had to do that when covid hit and i had no equipment at home so there are my episode with uh, matt sorum and the first one with susan holmes mccaken i believe was like that and it's not terrible you know there's worse sounding things to listen to but 
you know, I, I just feel good. So I needed to express myself uh, because I, I want to feel good because I, I think I'm going to start. Uh, I, I think I did at the beginning of the podcast, this get in the ring segments. And I'll work on a, a soundbite for it, maybe some graphics. I might have to do it as uh, a separate video series because there are things that piss me off sometimes and people that piss me off sometimes. And I just think about getting the ring, that song. I've been tweeting the lyrics and sharing the lyrics and you all have been responding so well to it. <laughs> we all freaking love that song. Oh, to hear that live one day would be, would be amazing. So let me just say this, my little get in the ring segments uh, before we wrap up here. I, as you know, the conversation always continues on the podcast. Love interacting with you, especially on, I don't know why I like it, this platform, but Twitter, X, I think it's because it's just the most simple uh, for right now anyway, but until, I mean, I swear, if, if Musk uh, has us pay for this, I'm, I'm off, I'm done. So I, I'm trying to find the, the tweet now that somebody had a problem. So initially I put out the tweet because it was uh, just a few days ago, October 22nd, 15 years, 15 years since Chinese democracy was confirmed and the, the single came out. So October 22nd, 2008. There was a big press, press release from Best Buy and Geffen, joint press release that finally Chinese democracy is coming next month, in, in basically a month. So it came out uh, November 23rd, 2008. Time flies, huh? So I put that out there. Do you remember? Blah, blah, blah. Of course, just harmless tweet. And I'll give this person a shout out because he's a, a good commenter. And I had no problem with his comment because it's his opinion and he wasn't mean or anything. It's pretty crazy the wait between the spaghetti incidents and uh, Chinese democracy is the same as between CD, Chinese democracy, and now. Which is, I can't believe it. Like, we've had one album in 30 years, right? Uh, Axel's by, this is what he says, Axel is by far the most wasted talent in music history. What is even sadder is listening to those CD instrumentals. You have at least two great albums there. Shares his opinion, fine. Uh, because I don't, agree with the wasted comment uh and that's how i kind of responded so i put wasted in air quotes or not air quotes i'm putting in air quotes now i actually wrote the quotes on twitter <laughs> wasted depending upon how you look at it literally just said to my wife which is true i literally said to her the dave matthews fan we got one album in 30 years just i just said that to her and because she's constantly getting new music new albums and it's just kind of like a fun banter we have between us. She said to me, I feel bad for Guns N' Roses fans. Just teasing me. And I said, but I think he was working on himself during all that time. Fighting depression. And today, it looks like he won. I, I, I don't know this for sure. But if you see what Axel was on stage and what he is now, he seems to be a very different person. And as I was just talking to Phil about, I side note, Baby Brownstone, he's in the back now. So he, uh, <laughs> he may be my co-host for this final segment. Uh, so that's all I said. Now, I can't go back and necessarily, oh, I know I can because I blocked him because he was a, a, this guy was an asshole. He goes, sad that, I'm, I don't name him, okay? Uh, Pete Petty, or I'm going to call him Petty Pete. Sad that you even gave a tweet that tweet any time or attention or also basically co-signing it 
I'm co-signing his tweet by not just retweeting it. I didn't just retweet it. I gave my thoughts on it, kind of deflecting and redirecting his thought on the word wasted. And I kept saying basically no cosign. I gave my own thought. No, he said no, no defense. Guy straight up slandered Axel, and you supported it. And I said I try to let people voice their own opinions, even if I don't agree with them. Just like this guy, Petty Pete. He goes by retweeting them though. Mad strange. You have an audience. People like that ain't it though. What? Again. No retweet with no context. I retweeted it with context and changing that word wasted to bring up a conversation about mental health and depression. And I said that. And he goes, I'm really confused here about who your audience is. People like that, people that actually like the band or people who talk 30-year-old shit. Seems like an easy answer. Dumb response. Just dumb response. Who is my audience? Whoever's listening to me. Whoever I've been able to, lucky enough to cultivate over these years with my silly sense of humor, uh, my Jewish accents, my New York accents, and talking about Guns N' Roses. There are, from what I've seen, because believe me, I look for negative responses. I'm, I'm obsessed with that. I really, I could positive once i really do it's really few and far between people like this who give me a hard time uh and i'm very fortunate like that and i said like you're being petty pete anyone who wants to be a piece of an uh, an audience oh petty is advertised you're the afd podcast less than actually advertised it's weird because all the gnr groups talk shit about you and you're, you're a dude from queens who likes gnr and wrestling basically me so i actually defended you before but this doesn't get the pass, bro. It was one forum that had an obsession with me. That's some dude made like a whole like 15 minute podcast trying to make fun of me. And I actually listened to it. Like I could smoke some weed and I listened to it. And I was like, it was cringe. Like I could make fun of me. It's so easy to make fun of me. Like it, it is. There's a lot of things you could pick apart. I get things wrong. I speak too fast at times. Uh, I get excitable. There, there's the bad jokes. And this was just like stupid. Oh, yo, Brando. Oh, I was having Chris Thornton. What? <laughs> it's like, what am I, in fifth grade? I'm going to be offended by just a silly voice. Uh, so anyway, this this douche continued. Um, he's just like, you boosted slander on Axel. Again, didn't boost. I engaged with a follower to ultimately talk about mental health. If I berated that person, talking about mental health and depression kind of negates the point. And I said people have their own opinions and they can share them here. Even you, Petty Pete. Oh, you don't need to berate people to defend, but you also shouldn't sympathize with slanderous people. (laughs) What? You feel bad for GNR fans. I am a GNR fan. And he goes, wasted, depending upon how you look at it, question mark. Yes. Yes, he didn't waste it. Because if he's working on his mental health and he's happy now and he didn't kill himself, it's not wasted. Dumb. It's a really bad take or defense from a real GNR fan. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Clown show. Clown show. 
And I kept saying, you are creating a narrative that isn't there. Uh, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, Petty Pete, go back and listen to all the other ones. Because I am a constant supporter of Axel. I do not go down the road of, like, I'm not a sycophant. I'm not, gonna, I'm not somebody who says he sounds like he does in 1987, but I'm not somebody who mocks him. I'm not somebody who's like, who says that User Illusion has filler. I'm somebody who says that it should be two albums. It, it, I, I support this band. So it's just you're not paying attention. You are just forcing your opinion on me because you didn't like it. And he, it's like he didn't even like attack the person who initially posted the tweet that he supposedly thinks is so slanderous. So I eventually had to retweet him to show my followers that here's a guy giving me shit about talking about mental health. And I can't reread this, reread this one because I deleted it. And he just spoke about that I'm kind of fake with my mental health talk. Bro, my dad killed himself 10 years ago. You think I'm fucking around? You think I'm fucking around? You want to antagonize me, motherfucker? Get in the ring, motherfucker. Because I'll kick your bitchy little ass, punk. Coy didn't get in the ring. So that's why I've been obsessed with that song lately. And he, as soon as he said, you can't pull that trump card every time. Yes, I'm pulling the trump card that my dad fucking killed himself. What a piece of shit to have to even say that. What a scumbag. So you know what, Petty Pete? If you do listen to the podcast, don't listen anymore. I don't want you listening to the show. This isn't for you. Who's my fan base? Intelligent, thoughtful, sympathetic Guns N' Roses fans. Not selfish assholes who try to push their opinions down other people's throat and are so confident in themselves. Don't tell me what my opinion is. I know what it is. I know what it is. So get in the fucking ring, Petty Pete. Yeah! Whew. Anyway. So should I do more of those? Get in the rings? Go off on somebody? Well, I try to stay positive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do it all the time. Anyway, that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. I'll tell you what's coming up. Uh, coming up shortly, uh, I have an interview. We've had Mark LaBelle from Dirty Honey on a few times. But this time, we're going to get on John Notto and Justin Smolian uh, from Dirty Honey. They're going to be on the podcast. So did you see Dirty Honey open up for Guns N' Roses again this time around? If you did and you want to submit some questions, do so. Again, social media, how the conversation continues. Facebook, X, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Email me at theafdshow.com. And also please follow and subscribe on YouTube. Constantly working on that page. We have over a million views on that. Over 800 videos on that of just full length interviews of clips short little bites of whether two minute clips i've been making those youtube shorts 60 second clips putting a lot of effort into those because i do make some chump change off of youtube so uh, please support that if you are also on youtube again hit that subscribe button so that does it for this episode of appetite for distortion when will you see the next one in the words of axel rose concerning chinese democracy i don't know if soon is the word but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.